Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our Group Life Pastor, Tim Smith. Did that for you like it did for me hit a little close to home? Ever heard yourself say some of those things? Confession. Milledgeville has not always had 4G cell phone coverage. I remember the day when I was holding my new cell phone and it had 4G coverage, but we only had 3G. And I thought, that's the worst. Really? <laughs> you know, maybe somebody was right when they said the national pastime for Americans ought to be complaining. In fact, in a new Harris poll, we've learned that 55% uh, feel like their lives are dull and boring. Two out of every three Americans are dissatisfied with their jobs. 35% complain their marriages aren't fulfilling, and get this, 85% are not content with their physical looks. That kind of attitude and that kind of complaining, I think, just adds a level of stress upon us that makes us anxious for everything instead of being anxious for nothing. And that's why I really believe that we really need to hear the verses that we have been studying in this series, Anxious for Nothing, from Philippians 4. And not only do we need to hear them, but we need to take them in and apply them. And so we've been using the acronym CALM. We've said two weeks ago that we were to celebrate God's goodness. Last week we talked about asking for God's help. And this week we're going to use the L. It stands for leave your concerns with God. In other words, don't be anxious. Rather, find your contentment in Him. You know, the Apostle Paul, I think, says some pretty startling things in Philippians, the fourth chapter, but maybe there's none more startling than this. When he writes in verse 6, do not be anxious about, how much? Anything. Seriously? <laughs> and to make it clear, he adds, do not be anxious about anything in every situation. Come on. You've got to be kidding me. You mean you're telling us Never to fret or worry or be anxious about anything at any time? That's too much. <laughs> There's too much to want. There's too much that could be better. But I really believe our complaining and our discontentment has become a great contributor to leading to an anxious life. And in stark contrast to our anxiousness is our passage. In fact, right on the heels of saying, do not be anxious about anything, just six verses later, Paul writes this in verse 12, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, in any and every situation. Now, that's important to understand because it means he's not just wagging his finger at us, scolding us, saying, don't you be anxious about anything. No, he's trying to encourage us. He's trying to say, listen, you can do this. Because I have, I have learned how to be content in every situation. And the incredible thing is, like Adam talked to us about two weeks ago, his situation, his circumstances when he wrote this were absolutely lousy. He's in prison. He's broke. His health is deteriorating. Many of his friends have deserted him. The ruler of the land, Nero, is wanting to kill him. And yet he says, I'm not anxious. I'm content. Wow. 
So how do we shift from an anxious, dissatisfied lifestyle to one of contentment? Well, I think it starts with what I believe is Paul's definition of contentment and our sermon in a sentence, and that is this. Contentment is maintaining your spiritual balance independent of your circumstances. In other words, our calm our contentment cannot be dependent on the situations around us. Max Lucado, who wrote this book, Anxious for Nothing, that we're basing this series on, writes this. Contingent contentment, that is, counting on circumstances to provide contentment, turns us into wounded, worried people. I think that's why Paul writes, I have learned how to be content in any and every situation. I don't know about you, but that's something that I want to learn too. So let's look this morning at three principles from this passage that will help move us from worry to worship, from leaning on circumstances to leaving our concerns with God. Here's the first one. Contentment is an acquired trait. How does Paul make the statement in the beginning of verse 6, do not be anxious about anything? Because of what he writes in verse 11. He says, I have learned to be content. Now, the word for learned here means to acquire by practice. In other words, overcoming anxiousness with contentment does not come to us easily or naturally or quickly. And one of the reasons is it's so easy for us to fall into the trap of when and then thinking. When I make enough money, then I'll be content. When I find a mate, then I'll be happy. When we have children, then we'll be fulfilled. When the children leave home, you know, depends on your perspective, you know, then I'll be happy. One of the things that destroys contentment, though, and increases anxiety is when and then thinking. When I can do this or that, or when I can have this or that, then I'll be content. But instead of when and then thinking, Paul tells us in one short phrase, contentment is a choice. And get this. I believe that if you're a believer in God, if you're a Christ follower, then God expects us to be contented people. In fact, let me share with you three passages of Scripture that I think make it clear that it's not only good to be content, but that God expects it. Now, please understand as we get into this, God is not expecting you to be on cloud nine continually or wearing some kind of plastic smile all the time. What he's asking us to do is have the spirit of our life be one of contentment. So here's three things that this passage, these passages tell us do not provide contentment so that we can steer clear of them. Here's the first one. Don't count on possessions to provide contentment. Paul writes Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8 this, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Notice this phrase. In fact, you might circle it in your Bibles or highlight it on your uh, devices. We brought nothing into the world. Isn't that true? <laughs> when my kids were born, they brought nothing into the world. My daughter didn't come out with an iPad. My boys didn't pop out wearing Under Armour or Nikes. You don't bring anything into this world, and quite frankly, you don't take anything out either. My dad tells about a funeral home in Louisville, Kentucky that provides suits for the dead. The suits look really good, except there's one thing lacking. There's no pockets, because you don't need them. <laughs> Paul is saying here, listen, things don't provide contentment. If you've got food and clothing and shelter, you've got to be content. 
with that. Here's another thing. Don't count on popularity or acceptance to provide contentment. In Luke, the third chapter, some tax collectors and some soldiers, people who would be looking to please their supervisors, to be accepted by their higher-ups, asked John the Baptist what they must do to express righteousness, right living. I want you to listen to what John says here. It says, even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? In other words, how should we live rightly? He said, don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. And get this, be content with your pay. What? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I get not taking more than you should. That's not allowed, you know, being greedy and stealing. And I get don't be an extortionist or a liar, but be content with your wages. That's part of right living? Yes. Because John is saying here, listen, contentment comes more from treating others rightly than it does by being looked at by others rightly. Here's the third thing. Don't count on this present life to provide contentment. Listen to Hebrews 13.5. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. There are so many people who are looking to this world to fulfill their expectations. But the Hebrew writer says, no, no, no. Don't look to this world to fulfill your expectations. Be content with the very presence of God in your life. You see, Paul was content no matter his circumstances because he had what he felt was the most valuable thing. God in him, God with him, and God for him. See, I believe God is asking us to live as thermostats, not thermometers. You know the difference. A thermostat is something that, that, that sets the temperature. A thermometer simply registers what the temperature is. I think God is saying, listen, be a thermostat. Instead of the circumstances controlling you, you set in your heart the truth that no matter what happens, the most important thing is God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I have got your back. I'll never turn it on you. So contentment is an acquired trait. It takes practice and a reminder of these things. But I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say, I've learned the principle of being content. Doesn't even say, I've learned the concept of being content. He says, I've learned the secret. In other words, this is something not commonly known or practiced. So let's lean forward just a little bit to hear him tell us his secret. And they're in the last two principles. Contentment is adjusting to circumstances. We all understand this life is full of ups and downs. That was certainly true for the Philippians. In fact, Paul wrote them in verse 10 and said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. They had been able to send him a gift. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had not, no opportunity to show it. In other words, the Philippians right now were in an uptime. They were able to send him a gift, an upswing to be able to help him. But they had been in a downtime and hadn't had enough to send. Life was a roller coaster for the Philippians, but it also was for the Apostle Paul as well. He describes his ups and downs in verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need, 
In other words, I know what it is to live with humble means, but I also know what it is to have plenty. He had prosperous, prosperous times too. You see, Paul would ride the roller coaster and plunge down into hunger, and then he'd shoot up to being filled. He'd dive down into suffering, and then he'd climb back up to abundance. But through it all, Paul remained flexible. He didn't lose his faith when he slept on a hard ground with a growling stomach, nor did he forget God when he had a nice home and a hot meal. Listen, here is a real mark of maturity. When you know how to handle both situations, the ups and the downs, without letting either upset your faith equilibrium. It's absolutely true. The only thing you can count on that's certain in life is change. So the important question is, how do you handle change? You get scared, uptight, moody, angry. Paul says your contentment in life and thus your anxiety level depends on how well you adjust, roll with the punches, are flexible. Remember what he said in verse 12, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry or whether living in plenty or in want. But I see three self-imposed roadblocks that hinder this ability. Here are three things that I believe we need to stop doing in order to cultivate competence in adjusting to life's circumstances. Here's the first one. We need to stop constantly comparing ourselves to others. You want a sure formula for anxiety? Just make it a habit of always comparing yourself to other people. You know, how do you feel when someone maybe your age or younger, then you get a bigger house or a better position or gets that promotion that you thought you deserved or has better things or becomes more popular. Does that destroy your contentment? Here's the truth, and you know this. There will always be nicer homes, richer people, better paying jobs, and fleeting fame. But a part of the secret sauce for Paul for contentment is not looking around at what others have, but looking up to God to what he has provided for you. Here's the second roadblock that we need to stop, and that is we need to stop being controlled by our circumstances. Most disgruntled people that I know blame their attitude on what's happening around them. Unfortunate, yes, but their circumstances. They're kind of like we discussed earlier. When this or that happens or when this or that, I get, then I'll be happy. But you see, I don't think the real problem is their circumstances as much as it is their unrealistic expectations about life. That's why I, I believe that this is at the very heart of what I see today as an entitlement culture. There are too many people who think they deserve a certain status or uh, that society owes them in some ways. And I know there's probably a multitude of reasons for it. I'm not going to get into it. But we seem, at least to me, to be living in a culture that's high on expectation and low on commitment. And I believe that one of the things that Paul would tell us and is emphasizing here and even setting the example of is that God doesn't want you just to cope with your circumstances. He wants you to be content even when your circumstances are not ideal. And the way to begin to do that is to remove this third roadblock, stop complaining and start thanking. Paul makes that central to this whole passage he writes in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but with thanksgiving present your request to God's. You see, God's anxiety therapy includes a large, delightful dollop of gratitude. In fact, in his book, 
Anxious for Nothing, Max tells the story of his friend Jerry, and he writes this. Jerry is 70 years old and regularly shoots his age on the golf course. If I ever do the same, I'll need to live to be over 100. But his dear wife, Ginger, battles, battles Parkinson's. What should have been a wonderful season of retirement has been marred by multiple hospital stays, medication, and struggles. And yet he never complains. He always has a smile and a positive attitude. And so one day I asked Jerry his secret. He said, I'll tell you. Every morning, Ginger and I get up and sit together and sing a hymn. I ask her what she wants to sing, and she always says, count my blessings. And so we sing it. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. And that's exactly what we do, he said. We count all of our blessings. Maybe it's time for us to take a moment and a cue from Jerry and Ginger's example and count our blessings. Do you have friends? Do you have family members? Do you see any grace from God, any love of God? Do you have any abilities, any talents, any money? Got a roof over your head? As Lucato writes, as you look at our blessings, anxiety grabs his bags and slips out the back door. Worry refuses to share the heart with gratitude. One heartfelt thank you can suck the oxygen out of worry's world. Focus more on what you do have and less on what you don't. Richard Foster, another Christian author, wrote on this topic. And he said, you know what? When you wake up in the morning, do you thank God for a good night's sleep? Or, or do you complain that you had to get up so early? Foster says, you know what? If you can't sleep, get around. Thank God you can walk. <laughs> Or walk by your children's bedrooms and thank God they're asleep. You know, whatever it is. But you thank God because it's so easy to fall into this habit of ingratitude. In fact, Paul also wrote in this book of Philippians a little earlier in chapter 2, verse 14, this. He says, do everything. How much? Everything without complaining. Adjust your heart from complaining to thanking. So, Satisfaction in life, living a contented life, is an acquired trait. It consists of constantly adjusting to circumstances, but here's the most important principle. Contentment is being anchored to Christ. The secret to move from anxiousness to contentment is to drive a stake of your life into Jesus Christ. Remember, we're anchoring our tent of life over here, and we're doing that by anchoring it to God I mean, Paul makes that all a part of this passage where he says, listen, you present your request to God. It's the peace of God that will guard your hearts and minds. And then to sum up this principle, he writes this in verse 13. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. And the word for strength there is the Greek word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite, <laughs> Paul is saying, listen, Jesus will provide the power and the strength if you will quit trying to be so self-sufficient and be Christ-dependent. The best way to defeat an anxious spirit is to give our concerns to Jesus and then go and do what we can. Yeah, go ahead, fill out that resume, study for this message, have that hard conversation in that relationship, but give it to him then do what you can, and then leave it with him. That's the equation. 
Give, go, and leave. But what we often do is we give it to him, and then we do all that we can, and then we go and just pick it back up. <laughs> or we take it from him. And, and there's some reason in our pride that we end up determining when things don't go our way in the timing that we think we ought to. That we'll determine. We'll get the contentment out of this. But listen, <laughs> that's not the way it works. <laughs> We're often like the fellow who was asked, would you like to be poor and happy? or rich and miserable. And he thought for a moment and said, well, could I be semi-rich and moderately depressed? You know, that's what we do, isn't it? Well, we try to figure it out our own way. But listen, listen, you don't find contentment. You learn contentment. And there is a proper when and then thinking. When we completely submit our will to Jesus Christ, when he is the Lord of our lives, that is the director of our every move, when we place our ultimate confidence in him, then... He supplies the strength, the power, because our contentment is in him. And I really believe that God has given us three attitude changes that if we'll make them, it will decrease anxiety and increase our contentment. Here's the first one. Our anxiousness is decreased and contentment is increased when people matter more than things. Paul was a good example of this. In verse 16 of this chapter, Paul says, For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. They sent him some stuff to help him. Not that I seek the gift, but, get this, I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. You see, the Philippian people were much more important to Paul than the stuff that they gave him. The stuff that they had sent. And as you mature, you should find yourself moving away from self-centeredness to being other-centered and Christ-centered. In fact, Rudyard Kipling, speaking to a graduate class at Yale University, once said, someday you're going to meet somebody who doesn't care that much for wealth or fame or personal attention, and that's when you're going to realize just how poor you really are. You see, contentment is having the attitude that people are more important than things. But here's number two. Our anxiousness will decrease and our contentment increase when the spirit matters more than the flesh, when the spiritual matters more than the physical. And, and this is interesting because Paul, at this particular time when he wrote this, his body was not in good shape. His vision was going something. He had terrible migraine headaches, and yet he says, I've learned to be content. He could say that because to him, the inner man was more important than the outer man. The spiritual was the priority over the physical. Now, our culture places sometimes an inordinate amount of emphasis on the body. We have tanning salons and multi-million dollar fitness centers and cosmetic surgery. And I'm not saying any of that is wrong because the Bible does say we should take care of our body. It's the temple. It's where the Holy Spirit lives. But here's the key. That should not be our priority. Paul also wrote this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.8. He says, for physical training is of some value. There's some good to that. But godliness, it has value for all things. It's always got to be the spiritual over the physical. And then thirdly, our anxiousness will decrease and our contentment increase when eternity matters more than time. When Paul wrote this, he realized he probably would never get out of prison. and He didn't. He was executed but he was still content because he realized, and this is something, if you're listening to this message and you're wondering about this whole God and Jesus thing that I want you to get if you don't get anything else, 
The reason Paul could be content, even when he thought he was going to die, was because he realized there was something beyond the grave, something that God had promised him. And as you mature in Christ, I think this world means less and less. Oh, you can feel it, you can touch it, you can see it, but you know it's temporary. There's something better for you. In fact, that's why Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. We're not going to be all anxious. We're going to be content. Though outwardly we're wasting away. Anybody else wasting away feel that? Yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You see, what's unseen becomes your focal point. Christ, people that you love and have gone on, heaven, your anxiousness decreases. And your contentment increases when you move from a hopeless end to an endless hope. Hayden Robinson tells the story of a young Chinese boy who wanted to learn to work with the precious jewel jade. And so he went to an old teacher who specialized in the beautiful gem, and he asked him to teach him, and the old man agreed. In lesson one, the old man put a piece of jade in the boy's hand and told him to hold it tightly And then he began to talk about philosophy, men and women, the sun, and everything under it. And after an hour, the teacher took the stone from the boy and sent him home, telling him to return tomorrow. Well, the boy was just a bit confused, but he figured the next day would be different. But the procedure was repeated, not only for the next day, but for several weeks, each time with a different piece of jade. Now, the boy wanted to be polite to this venerable teacher, but... After weeks of this, he decided, I'm going to quit. This is my last day. And he came down into the lesson. He sat down, and the old man put a strange stone in his hand, and he distinctly said, hey, hey, this isn't jade, to which the teacher replied, now you're ready to work with the precious jewel because you recognize the genuine. Let me ask you, do you recognize and know the genuine? Are you trying to decrease your anxiety and increase your contentment with all the counterfeit things this world has to offer? If you want to live an anxious-for-nothing contented life, then celebrate God's goodness. Ask God for help and recognize the genuine, the cornerstone, and leave your concerns with Jesus Christ. And then you can say, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage, for allowing Paul to write it. We we understand, Lord, that this is a, a journey. This is not something that comes naturally or quickly for us. So, so help us to hone in on the fact that this is an acquired trait. needs some work. It, we need your help in it. But help us also to understand that, that it's about adjusting to our circumstances, being a thermometer, or being a, uh, uh, not a thermometer, but a thermostat, to, not to be controlled by the circumstances, but to control them by our trust in you. But most importantly, Father, I'd ask that you'd help us to anchor ourselves in you. Help us to know that you have said you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, you'll never turn your back on us, and that you want to help us with this. And so, God, help us to accept this challenge. 
and go from this place saying, you know what, I'm really going to work on this with your help, Lord. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.